Well, this up on the screen at the moment is something that I'm very, very excited about and I think all of you should be too. <laughs> Presence, power and purpose, living the book of Acts. In, uh, at the beginning of October, we're going to launch a whole new concept of how we do our life groups, our home groups. And it's going to be focused around learning together to walk out the book of Acts. The book of Acts is kind of like a wide blueprint for the life of the church and how we impact society around us. And it all kind of hinges around, if you, if you want to summarize the book of Acts in one verse, it's Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we know that the presence of God releases his power and out of that power comes our purpose. And can I just say that this is not about your individual purpose as much as it is about our um, uh, ecclesia purpose, which hasn't changed since the day that Jesus spoke it out. Amen. So there's something that I'm going to be asking everybody to do. You're going to get a text message this week. Um, and in that text message, you're going to be asked to follow a link where you can fill in a form on our website. We need to update all the details of where everybody lives, phone number and email address, because we're going to improve our communication systems within the church. And I also want to get a really good picture of the geographical spread of where everybody lives, because we want to make um, our life groups, our home groups, as accessible to everybody as possible. So... Can you just wave your hand at me if you don't mind filling in a form for me? Because a lot of people, I can't read your hand right now. I can't even read my own half the time. So if you fill in a form, <laughs> if you fill in a form, it'll be a lot easier for everybody. Um, just also want to commend um, intercession to you tomorrow night. Um, you know, I've never been part of a church with a greater percentage of church membership actually engaging in prayer and intercession. A um, couple of Monday nights ago, as soon as you say something like this, half of them disappear the following week, which is what happened last week. But two weeks ago, we had 24 people in our prayer meeting on Monday night. Now, we've got you know, roughly 70 adults in the church plus kids. So if it, there weren't really many kids here, but um, that's like a third of our adult congregation are beginning to engage in prayer. And can I tell you, your prayer life is what everything else stems from. We need, to, we need to, dare I say, be indoctrinated into prayer. Ooh. Okay. Now, um, we're talking about, we've, I was having this discussion upstairs with Sylvia about how to pronounce ecclesia or ecclesia. And the reason that I wanted to uh, avoid ecclesia is because it has a very kind of, it always reminds me of, Oh, you know, the ecclesiastical purpose of the church and it kind of sound a little bit kind of high church and stuff. But it seems like the majority of people uh, use ecclesia and it's probably easier to pronounce. So we're going to going with ecclesia, but we'll spell it like that because that's kind of closer to the Greek, I think. So <laughs> I want to start off this message because uh, it says, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Who said that? Wow. 
It's, I know it's up there, but it's good to say his name. <laughs> Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. I just want to, uh, I, I want to, before I launch into this fully, I, I just want to release a bit of a prophetic word that I got after our intercessors meeting on, on, um, on Monday night. And see, what I see um, our prayer and intercession ministry in our church doing is releasing prophetic direction for where we're going. And um, so on Monday night, this past Monday, several of us were getting um, impressions about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, we know the story, right? The presence of God was manifested over Israel. And whenever the, 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 the uh, pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire lifted up and began to move, um, the children of Israel were to follow the presence of God. They were instructed to move only when the cloud of his presence moved. And sometimes they were in one place for quite a period of time. But when that cloud or that pillar of fire began to lift, everybody had to pack up and move where the presence was going. Amen? So there is a saying that goes something like this. When a movement stops moving, it becomes a monument. When a movement stops moving, it becomes a monument. This has always been the challenge for the church or the ecclesia from the smallest group of two or three up to the largest movements around the world, following the presence of God into the next season and not camping around a revelation that God had released to the church at a certain time, but now he wanted to take them into something new. And uh, I felt the Lord say that uh, the cloud is moving now and his presence is leading us into what he has for us as, a, as an ecclesia. We are coming into a season where we will know the visitation of his presence like never before. But I also want to say that the visitation of his presence is not going to be stationary. The visitation of his presence is going to be like that in the Old Testament where God is going to take us into things and he doesn't want us to camp around something specific that he does for a couple of weeks ago. Oh, this is it. We've got the presence of God. We've got to stay here because this is so precious. God is always moving. He's always, he never changes, but he changes us. He transforms us. He takes us from one level of glory to another. He even moves us from one physical location to another. Don't hang on to where you are physically located at the moment because God might uproot you and say, I want you in China, I want you in Japan, I want you in Russia, I want you in London. Yeah. It could be anything that God wants you to do. And this is a specific word that the Lord gave me on Tuesday morning. After that intercessors meeting, I was on my face before the Lord because that's the healthiest place to be. On Tuesday morning, I heard the Lord say, strengthen your stakes now. They must go deep to hold your expanded tent. Strengthen your stakes now. They must go deep to hold your expanded tent. And I knew immediately he was talking about Isaiah 54, 2, which says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. And can I share with you that I have a Bible at home. It's the first Bible I received after I gave, gave my life back to the Lord in 1996. 
And there have been times across the years where the Lord has spoken certain scriptures to me, and so I would write the date in the margin. And this Isaiah 54.2 has been marked several times over the years. I think I've got four or five dates down the left. It's in the studio, so I've got to go check it tomorrow morning to see how many times he's actually given it to me. But each time he gave me something out of that scripture specifically, it marked a significant breakthrough. We're breaking through. We're breaking out of the old church and we're breaking into the new. And it's going to require something of you. Um, I believe that the breakthrough God is leading us into right now is the application based on revelation that God is releasing to us around the concept of ecclesia. I believe that... um, You know, I've been to a Transformations conference and I'm going to show you like a two and a half minute video of a testimony from one of those uh, conferences in a few minutes. And I thought I had a reasonable understanding of it, but then God needed to shift my understanding of what he wants to do with us specifically. I also uh, know that it's going to dovetail beautifully with our launching as a group of believers into and through the book of Acts. Because if we want to walk out our destiny as believers, we need to do it based on the Word of God. And if there is a better book in the Bible that talks about how to walk out relationship with Jesus in the book of Acts, I haven't read it. Um, So let's go to this core scripture of Ecclesia in Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The rock, of course, being the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. The gates of uh, Hades shall not prevail against the Ecclesia. So I mentioned last week, for those of you who weren't here, that that where church was completely mistranslated in the King James Version of the Bible. There was a political agenda behind what King James did with that word. Um, if, you, if you weren't here last week and you want to explore that a little bit more, the video is on our YouTube channel from last week. Um, but um, to just to reiterate that Ecclesia was the name given to the governmental assembly of the city of Athens duly convoked or called out by proper officers and possessing all political power, including even juridical functions. Juridical functions means the administration of justice. Am I saying that our church should be the Parliament of New South Wales? No. What I'm saying is that the administration of justice, which is is our responsibility, begins in the spiritual realm and is manifested in the natural as we take authority in the spiritual. And uh, Jesus is the one who builds his ecclesia. It's not actually my responsibility to build what Jesus said he will build. It's my responsibility to submit to him and follow the leading of his spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He raises up. I will build my ecclesia. And he knows what he's doing. 
He's got a much better idea of what to do in this realm than I do or you do, might I humbly suggest. (laughs) I've read many books on Ecclesia. And from the moment that I discovered what was actually meant by Jesus when he used this term, it has fascinated me. Because anybody who has an understanding or even an interest in the history of the church will understand how dark some of those passages of history have been. Even our recent past is so tainted. And so it provokes in me the question, when are we going to do this right? When are we going to do it like Jesus originally wanted us to do it? And so some of, uh, some of the books that I've read on the principles of Ecclesia have included really exciting testimonies of how God led people into this concept of Ecclesia and how this led to the transformation of their city. I'm going to show you a, uh, a two-and-a-half-minute video now with a guy called Poncho Merguia, who Kerry and I actually met at a transformations conference in San Francisco in 2018. A lovely guy who took it upon himself to single-handedly break open something over what was at that time the most violent city in Mexico. So uh, let's have a look at this. Murder capital of the world. That was the word on the street in 2010 when drug lords and cartels fought a bloody turf war. Today, Ciudad Juarez is experiencing a renewal so dramatic and powerful that it is no longer the world's most dangerous city. Optimism has begun to return. With the power of God and the help of Christians in the city, homicides have decreased by 80%, kidnappings by 100%, and extortions are down by 90%. Now we can say our churches, our streets, and our sports areas have been rescued. In 2011, I went to a high place in the outskirts of the city. And by God's grace, uh, I made a declaration to adopt the city. I said to the city, you're no longer an orphan. And today I'm in another high place, right in the middle of the city. This is the way God sees our cities. Places where he wants to manifest himself to the church, in the community, in the marketplace, bringing transformation. Corruption is a cancer throughout Mexico and it affects everybody. There is no sector that is not involved, from government to civil society to ordinary citizens. We have hung signs on the walls of government offices telling our society not to accept bribes or to give money to officials asking for favours. We are telling the citizens that if they start doing it, they will be sanctioned by the authorities. I would like this campaign to go all over Mexico. It'll fix and make a whole lot of a difference on on the country itself. But we need to start somewhere. And this is the right place to start. Wise. As we have learned to use the keys of the kingdom that God has given to the church, we have found this. The keys are not to lock our, our, ourselves in, but to lock ourselves out and come into the community and bring transformation and enjoy what God wants to do, bringing the kingdom of God to our cities. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing uh, testimony. What an amazing set of statistics. Kidnappings down 100%, extortion down 90%, murders down, what was it, 80%? Yeah, 
But do you know how that process started? See, you, a lot of that video is dedicated to people who operate in the political realm giving their testimony about what had happened in their city. But do you know how that whole process started? That pastor, Poncho, God put it on his heart to go to the park in the city where all the drug uh, dealing was going on, where all the, the gang fighting was going on, all the rest of it. And he pitched a tent for 21 days in fasting and prayer for his city. And as that one prophetic act began to garner attention from places around, something began to break in the spiritual realm and other people came alongside him and they began to get a vision for what their city could look like if it was no longer like it was then. And so God released a specific task for him to perform to break open what God wanted to do. See, it's easy for us to go to see that and go, right, let's go knock on the mayor's office door because we want to tell them how we're going to change their city. Let's go to the head of the education department and complain about indoctrination towards leftist goals and ideals. Let's go to the police and say to them, it's time you cleaned up the corruption. It's easy to, to, to think about all these things in the natural realm, but our authority resides in the spiritual realm and out of the spiritual, the natural is manifested. And it's a, um, I must confess before you all that this is a mistake that I have made a number of times because you can get any number of books on any number of topics and, and people talk about oh, how God did this amazing thing and he'll do it for you. Just follow these 10 steps. <laughs> See, uh, I've noticed that there are a number of prominent ministries that have in effect turned what you just watched into a formula. Transform your city using these 10 steps. And to a certain degree, we fell into this trap with what we were attempting to do with Liverpool City Transformation. But when Jesus gave us the example of Ecclesia, he laid out foundational truths which were expanded on later on by Paul um, in the New Testament, all with this one governing principle that Jesus will build his ecclesia. Jesus will build his ecclesia. What he expects of us is that we will seek his direction, his leading and his guidance in how to partner with him for our specific situation so that what is built is built in his name for his glory. I just used his name seven times in that sentence. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him and it's about his kingdom. When Jesus, uh, when, what he expects of us, I'll read it again. What he expects of us is that we will seek his direction, his leading and his guidance in how to partner with him for our specific situation so that what is built is built in his name for his glory. And when we do that, 
the gates of Hades will not prevail against what God assigns us to do because the Word of God says that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I will build my ecclesia. And in the very next verse, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And this opens up something that the church has backed away from in recent times. I will give you the key. This is Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What do keys represent? Authority. Keys represent authority. You can't come in my house without a key unless you break in. And my little dog will have something to say about that. We're shaking him off your ankle. <laughs> Keys represent authority. We are entrusted with the authority of the king of kings and binding and loosing are what we do with that authority. Is that not right? This is the very next verse. This is what he's saying. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and so you are going to bind and you are going to lose. We can bind or expel the influences of the enemy in individuals, in our communities, in our cities, in regions, and even in nations. This is the realm of spiritual warfare. But we don't just go, oh, yeah, all authority has been given to, heaven, given to me in heaven on earth. Therefore, I'll go make disciples of all nations. That doesn't mean I'm going to walk uh, over to, uh, I'm going to take a flight over to the United States of America, stand before the Capitol building and tear down whatever principality or ruling spirit there might be over it. These are things that are assigned to us by God. And we'll touch on this a, 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 a little bit later on. But this is what we're called to do. Remember where Jesus is speaking this out. He's saying whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. And he's saying these words to them at the gate of Hades, at the place where darkness is most prominent in their culture, at the place where religious Jews would never go. He stands right there and he says, I'm giving you these kingdoms. I'm going to give you these keys to the kingdom. You're going to bind and you're going to loose. You're going to bind those things that try to come out at you from within the gates of Hades. You're going to loose people out of their grip. And the kingdom's going to be expanded. We can loose individuals, communities, cities, regions and nations out of the spiritual bondage and darkness that the gates of Hades represent into freedom and God moves. But right in the next verse, Jesus does something very unusual. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that when Jesus launches into something, he kind of goes down some unexpected paths in what he says? Because right after this, He's just got the, Peter's just got the revelation. God's revealed this to you, Peter. He's got the revelation. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus launches into building his ecclesia and giving them authority and the keys of the kingdom. And then right in the next verse, he says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one, that he was Jesus the Christ. Why would he do that? 
See, I believe he needed time to teach them what this revelation meant. Because up until this time, Jesus was preaching kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. But now he began to prepare his disciples for what would be required of them after he was gone. They had no idea he was going to be gone. They needed to know that the same Jesus who said, I'm the light of the world, was now telling them, you are the light of the world. They needed to get a revelation of what God needed to do in them so that he could do what he needed to do through them. And in many ways, this was like a turning point in the ministry of Jesus to his disciples. He began to teach them that they were going to be entrusted with the expansion of the kingdom and they were going to be endued with kingdom power and kingdom authority. Power because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many people have set foot in this church from huge Pentecostal churches that are not baptized in the Holy Spirit and they come here and they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What are we doing as Pentecostal churches if we are not seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm not calling out any specific church denomination movement or anything else. I'm just saying the Pentecostal church is called the Pentecostal church because it is of Pentecost. What did Jesus do at Pentecost? He baptized his ecclesia in the Holy Spirit so that they would receive power. How much power do you have if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a question we should all be asking ourselves. How did I get on that track? Okay, authority. We talked about power. Let's talk about authority. Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Jesus came and spoke to them. This is after, um, after he's been resurrected. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You've got two things that Jesus has promised, has released to us. He said you're going to get power and you're going to be given authority. And with those two things, you are going to go out and expand the kingdom in my name. And they could not possibly understand what their commission meant without the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. From this point on, at the gates of Hades, his focal point was equipping them for their destiny. And he wants to do the same with us. Authority, binding and loosing in governmental authority. If we would just wake up to the authority that Jesus has said we could have, things would look a lot different around us. But there was a catch, because it all sounds good so far. Wow, you're the, Messiah. You're the, you're the king of all Israel. You're going to restore Israel. We're going to be the preeminent nation on the face of the earth. And guess what? We are disciples. Which throne am I going to sit on? Which bit of the kingdom do I get to look after? But he goes straight on from verse 20 to 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem <coughs> excuse me, and suffer many things from the elders, 
and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. What sort of kingdom is a dead king (laughs) going to rule over? And then, of course, Peter, if anybody needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I was, oh, I'm going to stop a lot of them. No one's putting you to death. You're the Messiah. You're going to found this big kingdom and I'm going to help you be in charge. But Jesus turned around and did not lovingly counsel him. He said to him, get behind me, Satan. And have ever been rebuked? Ever been rebuked uh, by people in authority? Jesus didn't sit him down and say, look, I think you've got this little bit wrong. Now, this is what I'm going to explain to you. He turns to him and the first words out of his mouth, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. (laughs) Oh, Jesus got offended. (laughs) You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. How would you feel if Jesus came up and spoke that to you? (laughs) See, God does not see the value of our lives the way we do. Mankind, since the fall, has a perverse perspective we live our lives striving to achieve desiring to master to excel to compete to control to manipulate to jostle for position to win that's the way of the world hence the strength of jesus rebuke to peter The truth is, if we can get hold of this idea that our lives need to be completely laid down and submitted, we can become something like this. A small ecclesia of submitted, sold out, called out, burning Nazarites full of the Holy Spirit has more authority in the spiritual realm than a church of 5,000 if that church of 5,000 is devoid of apostolic and prophetic vision and mission. Well, in coming weeks, we'll get into this whole thing about apostles and prophets being uh, so central to what Jesus had in mind in Ecclesia because, you see, I've already touched on this idea that that we're not to try and import from elsewhere 10 ways of transforming a city. We need to know what God has got to say about where he's leading us, how he's leading us, and the specific steps he wants to do. You can't do that without the prophetic. You cannot do it. And even though we see all sorts of weird things spoken out and, and, and uh, I was compared prophetically to a mother hen upstairs in the prayer room this morning... And that's okay because I understood what was being said in the prophetic. <laughs> but there are things that, that, uh, that, there are paths that the prophetic movement has gone down that have got nothing to do with Jesus' assignment for the church, for the ecclesia. And so uh, 
if we can get our perspective right, our submission right, our humility right, our repentance right, the doors open for us to become what Jesus said we would become. This is not something that's legalistic. This is just living the Christian life. How beautiful was it when we came before the Lord together this morning in communion to meditate on what he's taken us out of and then to celebrate what he's taking us into. How beautiful is that process? That process where I examine myself and I say, God, these are the things that have gone on in my life the last week and I know you want them gone. And then the prophetic comes and people that are still wrestling with addictions. I'm not just talking about drugs. Everyone has, everyone has, has their own kind of sphere of addictions that they have stepped into. But just one little flame of the Holy Spirit comes and blows those cobwebs away. Something was released in God's presence even as we took communion this morning. Something happened profoundly in the spiritual realm. You've got to understand that power and authority for the ecclesia are manifested in the spiritual realm. It's transformed people that transform nations. Not religious nuts knocking on the door of the mayor. Don't know who that was for. <laughs> Just receive it. <laughs> See, this requires of us a change of mindset. We're transformed by the renewal of our mind, right? Jesus is constantly doing a work on my mind. Thank God for that because my mind goes round in circles. It's bits, it's actually, it's bits of my mind that are not refunctioning yet. I have this, these, uh, these memory lapses which drive Kerry around the, around the twist sometimes because uh, way back in my dark past, I took so many drugs that I was burning out millions of brain cells at an exponential rate. And yet God is, I have a promise from the Lord, I'm going to restore your memory. I'm especially going to restore your memory for, the, for my word. I'm going to restore your cognitive processes. This is what God wants to do with us. When he says, I'm going to renew your mind, he's going to heal your mind. He's going to heal your mental processes. He's going to heal the way that, he's going to heal the neural pathways. He's He's gonna, he even does these things in the physical realm. Like the young lady that we had that came that, 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 um, that had epileptic fits from the age of five right up until the age of 20-something. And just a simple word that God was rewiring her neural pathways and she was completely delivered for, from epilepsy. Praise God. You see what happens? Authority and power are exercised in the spiritual realm because you see something. Look at Kylie on the front row. Got a vision of her um, kidneys. Kidneys? That was, liver, sorry. <laughs> I told you my memory's being restored. That's a reminder. Her liver was completely restored. We saw it in the spirit before it manifested in the natural. We've got to understand our authority and our power are in the spiritual realm. In a very real sense, we must undo hundreds of years of misapplication of what Jesus had in mind. That's why we need not just revival, but reformation. 
Jesus had in mind an ecclesia walking free of our sinful past. I'm trying to uh, just quieten the urgent to go next door and ask these guys if their DA actually allows them to operate that machinery on a Sunday morning. Sorry? No, it's okay. I might go see them later. <coughs> He had in mind an ecclesia walking free of our sinful past and invading the gates of Hades in governmental authority and supernatural power. An ecclesia operating in governmental power and authority to bring kingdom transformation to individuals, to communities, to cities, to regions and to nations. But in saying this, Jesus still manages to give us the opposite perspective to the one that the world has. The foundations of his kingdom are in the spiritual realm, not the natural. He said, even before Pilate, I think it was, my kingdom is not of this world. But I'll tell you what, it affects it. The governmental authority of Ecclesia is manifested in the spiritual realm first with the intent that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord be like leaven throughout culture. You know, sometimes we think about leaven in a negative, negative light because Jesus said to his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. But leaven is what bread makes bread rise, right? So uh, if the knowledge of the glory of the Lord becomes like leaven throughout culture, why? Because you are the leaven. It doesn't take much leaven to make a loaf rise. It just has to be placed in the right thing and the whole loaf comes up. There's the whole idea of salt and light. Light dispels darkness. Salt, just a tiny pinch of salt on a steak will completely transform how that steak tastes. Thank God I live in an era where salt is widely available and not a precious, practically the same value as a precious metal as it was in the Middle Ages. Yes. That's a <laughs> spices, salt. There's all sorts of stuff that was like so expensive it was ridiculous. Don't know why we're going there. We'll get away from that. <laughs> the knowledge of the glory of the Lord be like leaven throughout culture so that the transformation of culture is the supernaturally natural outcome. This is what God wants to do. And this was the mistake that his disciples made continuously. They thought that they understood what he meant by governmental power and authority. Even while they were walking to Jerusalem towards Jesus' crucifixion, they were arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, 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 no. I'm the, remember that we, we went and prayed for that guy and he got healed and you prayed for the other guy and he didn't? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. You remember, do you remember last night at dinner? Who did Jesus give the bread to first? It was me. I'm the greatest. I'm going to be at his right hand. They were arguing this stuff while Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem in full knowledge they're going to crucify him. And he's been telling them this, but they didn't get it. They didn't quite get what it was going to cost them or why it had to cost them. Jesus said to his disciples, and we're still in Matthew 16. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. This turning upside down of the human condition so that we are constantly humbling ourselves so that Jesus can build what he wants built is foundational. I believe that um, this is the reason why ever since the pandemic broke out back in February, March, that God has been hammering us with the theme of repentance. Because we have taken so much for granted. And I've said this before, that the church in Australia has been like a frog that got dropped into a lukewarm saucepan of water and then the heat got turned up and the frog doesn't notice because it doesn't notice the increase in temperature until it's too late and all its organs fail. And so the Lord has been taking us down these pathways of repentance and they're not... Uh, they're for us as a community of believers. They're also for us as individuals. And so transformation needs to come to us individually and corporately. See, if we rely on our own normal human resources, we will build in the flesh, not the spirit. If we build in the flesh, Jesus is not the builder. We are, right? If we build it in the flesh, we have to maintain it in the flesh because Jesus isn't in it. And he's just standing there going, well, look, let me know when you're done because I've got something in mind for you that's a lot better than this puny thing that you've built yourself. If we build in the Spirit, we are co-laboring with Christ but in perfect submission to him. I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not prevail because we completely lay down our lives at the feet of Jesus. He leads and directs us to use the authority entrusted to us to bind and loose in the spiritual realm. And that exercising of authority affects everything in the spiritual realm and spills over into the natural. And that's what brings transformation. So we need to start understanding power and authority in submission to him. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be. In fact, at the end of the service, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit and you would like to be, I'm going to ask you to come down the front. We're going to pray for you so that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's, the found, that's one of the foundational things that Jesus said. Wait. In the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have not been endued with power from on high. And as I kind of head towards wrapping this up, you know, there's only two passages of Scripture in which Jesus actually mentions the ecclesia or the church. And we're in the middle of the first time in these verses 
But let's jump forward a couple of chapters because Jesus again makes the connection between authority in the ecclesia and binding and loosing. And now he's speaking into the life of the ecclesia. In Matthew 18, 15 to 20, it says, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the ecclesia. When was the last time you saw that happen? Anyone ever seen it happen? I've seen a rough facsimile of it once in church life, and I don't want to tell you, it looked like a train wreck to me. <laughs> By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the ecclesia. But if he refuses even to hear the ecclesia, listen to this. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. This is Jesus speaking to his ecclesia. It's suitably quiet in here. What about the misconception we have about judging? When in 1 Corinthians, Paul says we must judge righteously within the body of believers and not even break bread with those who willfully continue to sin. <sighs> See, when Jesus says, let him, to be, let him be to you like a heathen, and a tax collector, heathens were the people at the gates of Hades. They're the ones worshipping Pan or worshipping Baal or all the other deities. They're the ones that are doing blood sacrifices of all sorts of different animals. They're the ones that are taking part in ritual orgies to try and get fertility for the land. These are people that are sacrificing babies to Moloch. These are people that are despised by every rabbi in the land. And Jesus says, if you can't sort this out, let this person be to you like a heathen. And then he goes, well, I'm better. And he goes, oh, and if, if that's not enough, how about a tax collector? Because tax collectors were not just taking taxes like we think of the taxation department. They were people who were betraying their own people to give the money to the Romans and enriching themselves illegally along the way. They were guilty of larceny and robbery and corruption and all the rest of it. And Jesus is saying, my ecclesia is going to be pure. It's going to be holy. It's going to be righteous. It's going to be spotless. You guys are going to sort these things out. Whew. When was the last time you heard something like this in church? I've never preached it. I've never heard it preached. Have you ever heard it preached? Why? It's in the Bible, isn't it? Isn't the buzzword of the season Ecclesia? The only, time, the only other time Jesus talks about it is in this context. I'm getting scared. And then he follows that with, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's he talking about here? He's talking about that when things are not in right order, that we have the authority to reach into the spiritual realm, identify those things that are wrong in the spiritual realm, bind them, cast them out, and loose those who have been bound into what God has for them. 
binding and loosing in the spiritual realm, deliverance, inner healing. I'm not preaching this at you. I need you to understand this. Two weeks ago, I went to see somebody because I, because I, I had this sense that there was something that needed to be dealt with over my life in the spiritual realm that I had volunteered myself to be under in a sense. Don't start guessing maybe it was this, maybe it was that. All your guesswork is completely wrong, I would suggest to you. It's not about what the issue was. It's about the fact that I was prepared to acknowledge myself as having put myself in a place that God didn't want me to be. And I knew that I needed somebody to pray over me to break it in agreement so that I could be loosed into what God has for me. None of us are beyond deliverance. None of us. None of us are beyond inner healing. God needs us healed up. He needs us delivered. He needs us operating in the wholeness, the fullness of what Jesus died for us to have, that we would be like him so that he can entrust power and authority to us that would even transform culture. We're not walking in it. We've got to stop playing church and, stop living and start living ecclesia. Stop playing church. Start living Ecclesia. We're going to see in later sessions how these lines of authority are meant to be established in our gatherings through fivefold ministry. <sighs> that the entire body of Christ is meant to be equipped. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. These guys were doing that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where are we? I'm just asking you. They weren't baptized. They weren't even saved. Did you understand this? That the disciples, at the time when Jesus was talking to them at the gates, they're not saved yet. Why? Because the blood has not set them free. They're followers of Jesus. He walks through a wall supernaturally after he is raised from the dead and he releases the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, that's when, they, that's when their unfettered relationship with God begins. So what are they operating in? The delegated authority that Jesus gives them. In your name. In your name. And so these guys, they're not saved, they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they're healing the sick, they're cleansing lepers, they're raising the dead, they're casting out demons. And here we are, we're saved, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you raised a dead man? Apart from your dead past. <laughs> I could ask myself the same question. Does this not hit you in the guts like it hits me? Like I, I read these things and I go, mate, what are you doing? What are we doing? <laughs> and see, we see these beautiful stories like, like that guy Poncho, I remember meeting him at that Transformations Conference, such a beautiful, humble guy. I'm not in any way denigrating anything that God did through him because it was extraordinary that the murder capital of Mexico should have a 90% reduction in the murder rate or whatever it was, 100% kidnappings down, 
Man, that, that is just extraordinary. But what has been missing from our expression of this idea of Ecclesia is that we have drawn from other people's wells without digging our own. We have asked others to come alongside as we build without first establishing what it is that Jesus wants built. We drew from others and we thought it could be transplanted into what God wants built here. I'm guilty of this. That's why I can preach it with authority. I would have people like Joel Shaw come down with his tremendous ministry up in, in Brisbane and, um, and the way that he taught evangelism and things like that. And then I think, oh, that's great. And, we, and, and Kerry and I went up there and we experienced it. We went out on the streets of these teams. We were getting people saved. That, that, that girl was baptized. Like it was just like it was an open heaven. Why? Because Jesus had given him something to do there. When I tried to bring it back here and force it into the mold of what we're doing here, it didn't work. When we launched Liverpool City Transformation, we had the right idea. We just had the wrong um, implementation. Because God has a revelation to release for each community, each city, each state, each nation. Our, our city of Liverpool is unlike any other city on the face of the earth. Do you not think that God has a unique plan for what he wants to do here? Why would I take what some guy did in Mexico and transplant it here? It's doomed to failure. But we have learned. We have learned some things along the way. We have learned along the way that for this gathering of believers, there is a mandate upon us for transformation that comes via strategic level spiritual warfare. What's that? <laughs> Binding and loosing. Just at a higher level. Now, that's not the be-all and end-all of it, but there was two, I can think of two specific examples that uh, God asked us to step into. One was dealing with the rainbow serpent. In other words, the, the impact of Aboriginal spiritual belief upon our city. And we dealt with that in a certain way. And I did it in concert with an Aboriginal pastor, a friend of mine. And the story of that is just extraordinary. I won't launch into it now, but... Um, we dealt with that. We, we dealt with Freemasonry over our city. But that process um, took place over a long period of time and we were being led prophetically. I've got a notebook full of prophetic confirmations of each step that we took along the way to do that. And that tells me that the prophetic is key. We need a company of prophetic believers. And out of that company of prophetic believers, a company of prophets begins to emerge. There are people sitting in this congregation who are going to be released into the office of the prophet. There are apostles who don't even know that God has called them to be apostles yet that are sitting in this congregation today. And one of the prophetic words over us is that we are responsible for raising up the next generation of fivefold ministers. Taking somebody else's specific instances of what God did and doing a copy and paste 
is not what God has for us. So what does he have for us? What's, a, what's an example? Most of you have, have heard this a number of times, but a number of you haven't. But I think it was uh, the end of 2018, um, we went into 40 days of prayer and fasting. And on the last day of fasting, um, I had to do something in the shopping center in Miller. And uh, as I was walking through the shopping center, this is the last day of fasting, last day of intercession and prayer for that season. In my heart, I'm saying, God, you have allowed us to minister to people that nobody else can be reached, nobody else can reach. Um, you've done some extraordinary things here, but Lord, we need to reach our entire community. And so I'm walking along and God says to me, clear as day, go to the centre manager's office and ask for his permission to set up a prayer table in the shopping centre. It's the only time this has ever happened in any shopping centre in Australia because they don't allow this sort of stuff, right? Like it was, it was a ridiculous idea. I love it that God has ridiculous ideas that he then says, now go and do it. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there are moments when God speaks to you and you know unequivocally that was God speaking to me. Am I going to obey him or am I not? So I marched into the centre manager's office and we got permission and we ran that thing for a year and I think we probably prayed for 185 people basically on the streets of our city bringing people to salvation. We had people that were prophesied over. We had people that were physically healed instantaneously as we prayed for them. And then after a year, bang, it was gone. And I tried to get that door open for a second season of doing that, and it just remained shut, remained shut, remained shut, remained shut. What does that mean? Is the enemy still the opportunity? No. God released us into something for a season to show us that he doesn't mind giving us ridiculous ideas. What he's looking for is our obedience to the, in response to the ridiculous idea because beyond the ridiculousness of the idea is kingdom. So do, can, can I see the city of Liverpool opening up because of that one thing that we did? No, I, I, I don't see that. What I see is that God is teaching us that when we live a lifestyle of prayer, intercession and fasting, he releases kingdom keys and, 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 and he looses us into that place to bring the gospel to people that are not otherwise going to hear it. <sighs> see, uh, I'm starting to see the edges of what God wants to do through us. But this time, I'm not getting ahead of myself. Yes. I'm not allowing people from outside, some of whom come to minister in churches with their own agenda. Yes. Right? So, for instance, and I've seen this happen a lot. You get somebody who's had something extraordinary happen in their church or in their city, and then so they come to your church and they start talking about what God's done, and then... Their idea is that you jump on their idea and become what they become part of what they're doing, so that their ministry is built and it looks more spectacular. God's not about numbers. 
Me and God got a majority of one right there. <laughs> but what he's looking for is a company of people who will submit to what he wants to do, recognize when he speaks, obey when he speaks, step into what he has for us. What about if everything that we do for the next 10 years pursuing this line is only the only result is to be the catalyst for the next generation to take the city? Is that enough for you? Because that's dying to self, right? Is that enough for you? We've got to stop playing church and start living Ecclesia. I'm starting to see, can I get the worship team up, please? I'm starting to see the edges of what God wants to do with us. And it's not going to look like anything like, it's not going to look anything like what has happened anywhere else. But it will be powerful and unique to our city. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at the heart of this is this building of very small communities of believers, life groups, home groups, whatever you want to call them, little ecclesias spread throughout our city who are learning to live a lifestyle of prayer, intercession and fasting. Um, Anne-Marie pointed out, so Pastor Anne-Marie pointed out something to me a couple of weeks ago that, that, that I'd kind of forgotten. One of, the, one of the best examples of a lifestyle of prayer and fasting is you fast one day a week. I think you, that was from Derek Prince, right? So that's what I've stepped into. Um, but with the, with the understanding that there are going to be times where God's going to say, I want a 21-day fast, I want a 7-day fast, I want a 3-day fast, I want a 40-day fast. Uh, there's going to be, there has to be this culture change where we understand that talking with God, not talking to God, talking with God is at the core of who we are because we talk about being in relationship, not in a religion. Is it not time that we started conversing with God and hearing back from Him? Every single one of you is prophetic in that sense. Is that all right? I will build my ecclesia and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Can we all stand this morning? If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is usually accompanied, or I could get stronger with it, but it's usually accompanied with the evidence of speaking with tongues. If you've never had that experience, 
I'm just going to set aside some space over here on this side, and we're going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be amazed how the scales fall off your eyes as you read the Word, as you commune with God. You'll be amazed by how much your heart opens up to the things of the Lord, much more so than previously. Lord, I, I want to thank you for what you are doing. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are leading us down pathways that we have never walked down before. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for the sense of adventure that you are instilling in us, Lord, that after months and months and months of repenting and examining ourselves and having you coming and making adjustments, that, Lord, that now you are beginning to shape us and mold us for what you are taking us into, we would say yes to you, Holy Spirit, this morning. We would say yes to what you are calling us into, Lord. We don't know what it looks like, but we know that we can rely on the goodness of God, that your plan and your purpose is good. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I just invite you to gather over this side over here and our ministry team is going to pray for you. If you need ministry for anything else, um, come out the front. But I think the primary thing that the Lord wants to do this morning is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, so ministry team, if you would begin uh, ministering to these gathered over at the side here. And... Um, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come once more in this service, Lord, to a greater extent than you are already manifested? We know your presence is manifested here among us right now, Lord. We just ask for more in Jesus' name. We just ask for more in Jesus' name. More in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.